Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. Today's guest is former Wallabies captain David Pocock. Again, some offside play. There it is for Pocock. He got it down. David Pocock, who's been the outstanding player on the field, gets his fifth test try in his 52nd international. Thank you so much for, for like agreeing. And um, I'm going to be really honest and upfront. Rugby mm-hmm. union has not been my thing. I am from Townsville. I grew up watching the Broncos and then the uh-huh. Cowboys. So I apologise if I get anything wrong to do with rugby union, but I have a lot of friends no, who good. love rugby union um, and who particularly like you. So um, so that's been very exciting to talk to them about interviewing you because I think for me the very first time that I kind of really became aware of you and, and your career was when you decided to actually take a year off and focus on your studies. Yeah. And for me... That was so revolutionary as a former athlete myself. I was like, wow, like someone who has been at the top of his sport to take that time to step away and really just focus on something outside of it. I just thought that was unbelievable. How did you, how did you come to that decision and think that that was what was right for you? It was, it was something that I'd been thinking about for a few years. Um, and, you know, I was enjoying my rugby, but physically it was taking its toll. And I kind of wanted to, we'd, we, we lost the final of the 2015 World Cup, um, which was an amazing experience, but, you know, you, you don't win it and it's kind of... Devastating. I don't know. Second place is as good as... Last. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. In a, in a way. In a, yeah. It's, but I guess when you get a bit more perspective, you can understand how special it was. But mm. at the time I thought, okay, I really want to try and get to the next World Cup um, because we had a good group of players. We were building, I felt like we were building something special, but didn't feel like I had another four years straight of rugby in me. Mm. And yeah, had a bunch of interests outside of the game that I'd, I'd kind of been spending time on and was uh, wanting to explore a bit more and, and talking to a couple of players who I really respected. Um, one who had kind of retired in a, I don't know, like a, he had some injuries and then he had some marriage issues and ended up retiring and then made a comeback a few years later mm. once he'd sorted out his body and, and sort of his mindset. And then another player was Dan Vickerman, who um, tragically committed suicide mm. while I was actually having my year off. Um and he had taken a year off and gone and studied at Cambridge. And he just really encouraged me and said, mate, if this is something you want to do, you know, rugby will still be there. And if you kind of still have the fire and are willing to push yourself enough to get back into that frame of mind and that that physical, you know, the place you need to be physically, well, then you can get back into it. So uh, taking taking their advice, I jumped in and had a, had a year away from Australian rugby, which was – it was great. I'm really glad, glad I did it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I I I retired at um, I was 24 in 2009, and now at 36, I'm like, I just wish I'd taken a break 
I wish I hadn't have just gotten out of the sport completely mm. and I wondered if that would have made an impact on, you know, coming back into the sport and mm. my physical ability to be able to keep managing where you need to be at, that to- at the top of mm. your game. So I think it's, yeah, incredibly – it's such a – stupid word, but brave to, to kind of do that. Did you have much pushback from other people who were like, oh, you know, you're going to be lost to the sport if you don't keep pushing through? Oh, I had plenty of people telling me what I should be doing. You know, every, everything from people who I really respected close to me saying like, you know, you've just hit your kind of max earning potential in rugby and now mm. you're taking a year off. Like you should be, you should be cashing in former players saying, you know, you're a long time retired. Um, and then other people kind of saying, well, I don't think you'll be able to get back yeah. to your best after having a year off. Um, but I really think it's something that we're going to see athletes doing more of is, is having, you know, short breaks where you actually just take some time out from competition. You know, as, as you know, the, I guess the toll it takes mentally and physically of having to be at your peak and constantly pushing yourself mm. i don't know you i remember three or four months into that time away waking up one morning and saying to my wife emma like i don't feel sore mm. like remarkable <laughs> i can roll out of the morning and nothing nothing <laughs> feels sore um so it was it was good to kind of get a taste of that but you know a funny thing happened in that that time off is which which kind of seems like a bit of a paradox, I guess, is one, I realised that, like, at the end of the day, rugby really didn't matter in the scheme mm. of things. Like, you get to see that there's this big world out there and the vast majority of people don't care about rugby, don't watch rugby, don't even know about rugby. Mm-hmm. They're just getting on with their lives. Yep. And so I think when you're in that bubble, you th- you feel like rugby is everything. And so that was... That was challenging, but also great to kind of realize, like, hang on, like, I enjoy doing this thing and it's a really big and important part of my life and it's important for a lot of people. But in the scheme of things, this is to be enjoyed, Mm. to have fun. And then on the flip side of that, in, you know, traveling, I spent a bit of time in Zimbabwe and you get to see just how powerful sport and rugby is and how many people just love it and, and, are so kind of proud of watching people that they know excel. Mm. And so I kind of came back to to rugby, I guess being freed up a little bit from all the insane expectations and pressure that I put on myself about it kind of being everything. And at the same time, like a real appreciation of what it had given me and the opportunity I had in, you know, the last three or four years that I had in rugby to really make the most of it and try and, you know, make all those people proud and bring people enjoyment um, just from what I was doing, you know, on a Saturday on, on the field. Um, I, I want to just nod my head off because I just resonate so much with everything you just said. <laughs> like I, I wish I had the ability to go back with the perspective that I have now mm-hmm. and that's so mm-hmm. amazing that you were able to have that while you were in the sport, you know, while you were, you you obviously took that time out and that gave you that perspective and you were able to see and and feel that and recognize that sport is 
an amazing tool to bring people together and it's an amazing tool to push you beyond what you maybe think that your body is capable of or as a team or whatever it might be. But the reality is, is no one really gives a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, you know, and although a World Cup loss is devastating at the time, at the end of the day, it eventually gets forgotten about and everyone moves on with their Mm. lives and it's a moment in time. And do you think, you know, you think think back to yourself as a, 17 18 year old and wanting to give that that you advice but do you think do you think you were like ready for that i kind of look back and think like some of the just ridiculous levels of obsession and and training that i went to were like maybe just necessary as part of the journey and yes um it's a hard one. It is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, this is exactly what I've been reflecting on. It's so funny that you bring that up because I don't think I have – when you're that young, you have that intensity and you have that ability to focus, right? You have that ability mm. to just be singular in what you were doing and more of an ability to be that little bit selfish in terms of, mm. you know, applying yeah. yourself to, to your craft to your work to your sport or whatever it might be yeah I I I I completely agree with you like I wish that I could take my brain now and have that perspective and put it in my 18 19 year old body yeah but I don't think it would work because I think you need that experience to get to where you are now to have that perspective and it's it's also you know I think one of the things that doesn't often get talked about or doesn't get talked about as much as it should is professional sport in many ways is like it's a pretty selfish pursuit Mm. like if you want to if you want to be the best you've got to be putting you and your training and your recovery first and Mm. i think you know when you're young you can do that and it's maybe you know really a fortunate thing that by the time you've kind of put in all those hours that just have to be put in and you want then you have a you know a partner or kids you can actually have a bit more perspective and time out because you've kind of got that that bank of work and knowledge and you can train a bit smarter yes and i think that was a real turning point for me i probably would have been 20 uh yeah probably 20 and i mean we you know Rugby players don't start as early as you swimmers. Mm. Like you yeah, guys are young. insane. From <laughs> yes. in your teens, you're doing insane. You know, k's a week. But I joined. I joined the Western Force in Perth when I was 17, and um, was just obsessed. Like was was just doing way too much, and and but it was working. You know, mm. I, I was I was making teams and doing well. And then when I was around 20, I think it was just having some older friends who were a bit wiser and and um kind of realized that a lot of the stuff i was doing wasn't necessarily making me better it was more about managing my anxiety and in the long term probably was gonna be detrimental um and you know cause injury or burnout or um yeah looking back like that was a i'm really glad that happened because it in a way kind of shifted how i was training and, and and my approach but yeah, it is interesting looking back, isn't it? Like yeah. you, uh, you do. Um, you you start to get that perspective and understanding of how you were able to achieve what you did 
But I think as you get older, and certainly when I came to deciding to retire, I just realised that I didn't want to do that anymore. When I retired the first time, I should say. (laughs) I didn't want to make those hard decisions, what people look at sacrifices, but really they're just choices that you make at the time. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to make those hard choices anymore. You want to just sleep in on a Saturday morning or whatever it might be. I love that. I love that distinction you just made. You know, when you hear professional athletes talk about making sacrifices, I often think like you're making choices. Mm. Like you've got a pretty charmed life and you're making those choices. You know, the people making sacrifices are single mums and Mm. people doing it really tough. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think it's a good way to think about it. Yeah. I think you start to understand how privileged you are to be able to do something that you love on a regular basis. I want to ask, because I started to touch on what got me to the point of, of deciding to retire. What was it for you? Because you've only, you're only kind of fresh, freshly retired. You're not quite 12 months into your retirement. So you're a bit of a freshie. How are you finding it? And how did you come to the decision to hang up the boots? Yeah, I'm still finding my feet. Um, I mean, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like the whole time you're in professional sport, you know that you're going to have to retire at some point. Mm. And I certainly did. Like you kind of just put it off as that thing in the in the distance. Yes. Um, it's a future me. And then all of a sudden, you, yeah, all of a sudden you're there. So it has been, it's been a real adjustment, to be honest. Like, you know, just going from such a structured day, week, year with really specific you know, things that you know are either coming up or you need to be in shape by this date or whatever it is. Yes. To now kind of, you know, waking up and setting your own agenda and yes. trying to figure out, you know, what what you want to do with your life and who, who you are apart from, you know, David the rugby player. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I had other interests and kind of pursued them a bit during while I was playing. But, you know, now it's kind of, okay, well, Got to make a f- few of those things work now. In terms of deciding to retire, um, I don't think it was any one particular thing. It, I'd always kind of told myself that when I stopped enjoying it, that would be time to mm-hmm. call it a day. And I was, I was up in Japan for the last, my last season and was really enjoying most of it. But I don't know, I just kind of knew that it was it was time like I don't know when you kind of, when you know that you know and yeah. it, I was at the point where sure I could have probably pushed out of another season or two maybe three but you know at, at what cost and if something had have happened you know I've, I've had quite a few injuries in my career and if some something serious had happened I, I, don't, I don't know I would have struggled to forgive myself for just kind of doing it doing it again probably probably just for the money if mm. I was to if I was to keep going so yeah, it was a it was a tough decision, but felt really good, and yeah, I felt really supported by the people around me. And and Robbie Deans, who was the coach in Japan, he was outstanding. Just uh, so great to have a coach who kind of sees you as a human first and mm-hmm. a rugby player second. And um, he kind of said to me, he said, "Mate, you'll you'll make the best decision that's right for you, and we'll we'll deal with that and, and support you in it." So. Um, yeah, not quite a, not quite twelve months in, and yeah, going all right, trying to finish off with some study, 
which I've been doing for about 10 years now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and has really accelerated since finishing um, playing, but hopefully finish that off this year. If it makes you feel any better, I have been studying on and off for 14 years and still don't have a degree to my name. So <laughs> okay. there you go. <laughs> You're fine. 10 years is great. Yeah, there's plenty of us, <laughs> plenty of us doing that. How do you find, because you touched on finding your new rhythm and finding your schedule. And I just know for me, that's been one of the hardest things because I think mm-hmm. when left to my own, I'm a, I'm a really coachable athlete. Like tell me what to do and how many I need to do and I will nail it and probably go beyond mm-hmm. what you have asked me to do. But when it when I'm left to my own devices and am required to just come up with my own routine or rhythm to my day, week, month, whatever, I find it really hard. And also second to that, like the setting of goals, because, you know, as an athlete, the goals are really black and white. It's really clear cut. Mm-hmm. It's really obvious what you're working towards. And in the real world, it's just not like that. It's just so gray. So how do you go about setting your week and setting goals and working towards things that you are passionate about? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I had, you know, when you're, when you're playing, you obviously have a pretty good routine. And so I've really tried to keep the things that work for me. I've got an old friend in Perth who's, oh, he's been a real mentor. He's kind of in his late seventies now. And um, one of the things he always goes on about is, like, what do you need to do to be well? And it's a good, it's like, it's a, it's a strange question. What do you need to do to be well? And I think we all kind of intuitively know in a way, um, but it's trying to find some sort of routine or daily practice that works for us. And you can do it when things are well, going well, and you can do it when things aren't, aren't going so well. So, mm. um, you know, having a really simple morning routine has kind of, kept kept some sort of rhythm but then yeah the the question of you know what do I want to focus on now what what do I want to put my energy into Mm. um because it's so much that you can choose to put your energy into yeah yeah (laughs) like there's so many decisions that need to be made to like work towards something like how do you narrow it down because I know that you retired like the reason that you gave for retirement is because you wanted to focus on your conservation work, which is obviously mm-hmm. such a an incredible thing to be able to focus on. But like, where do you put all of that energy? You know, yeah. How do you use that focus and that passion to narrow narrow into? Mm-hmm. Well, it was a little bit helpful retiring pretty much at the start of COVID. And yeah. kind of being forced to slow down a bit, mm. um, not travel, just have time to think about, yeah, what do I want to put my time into? And, you know, the thing that really interests me and I find fascinating and, and kind of want to be working on is stuff around conservation and, and our relationship to the places that we live and the places we call home. And so kind of thinking about, you know, where, what skills do I have that I can use in that space and what skills I need to try and develop, um, either doing some, through some study or, um, you know, finding a good mentor or something like that. And, um, yeah, it took a good, 
I don't know, I want to say like three or four months of kind of just thinking it over and slowing down a bit and identified, you know, a few different projects that I think, well, I thought I had time for, um, <laughs> proving to be a bit busier than I thought. But, um, yeah, things that, you know, re- were really exciting and I felt like would actually contribute to and, and, and would feel meaningful. Yeah, really trying to, I guess at the end of, at the end of rugby, I really felt like I was at a, you know, the, the next phase of my life. The first phase, you know, you're, you're doing something that, I don't know, it was something I'd always wanted to do since I was a kid. Mm. And you're essentially kind of, it's all about achievement and doing well and, and all that kind of stuff. And it really felt like now it's time to actually give back and, and do things that I feel like are contributing in a meaningful way. But yeah, the, I don't know. It, it It's maybe one of those things like there's never a good final answer. It's just about asking good questions and seeing where they, seeing where they lead you. Do you find that difficult though? Because it's um, when you are an athlete, it, it is very, you know, coach driven and you follow training and it's kind of the path seems clear. But mm-hmm. I think what I have struggled with a little bit is like, it's just something I've decided, you know, like this podcast, like it's just something that I've decided that I think is interesting and hopefully other people find it interesting and will give benefit to other athletes who might be going through similar transitions at the time or indeed hopefully other people as well who might be going through big life transitions. But it's just something that I've decided <laughs> that is yeah. um, important and obviously, I mean, conservation and taking care of the world around us is like so important now but sometimes it's hard to know that what you're doing and putting your energy into is making a difference whereas with Mm. sport it's like you do this and you hopefully get this outcome but it's a bit more Uh linear I guess. Yeah I think it's it's really all tied into that kind of really human journey of trying to reach that point of kind of personal responsibility where you kind of go hang on like I'm the one who's needs to make decisions for my own life Mm. and ultimately I'm the only like consistent character in this life of mine I can blame all these other people but at the end of the day I'm the only only one there in in every scene so (laughs) it's you know it's time that I start to make make some decisions based on you know what I really want to do because you know, I think at the end of the day, like deep down, all of us know what's right for us. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the courage to actually make those decisions because, you know, they often aren't supported or, or kind of go against so much of our cultural stories or, you know, how you should be in the world. And, you know, in sport in some ways can kind of, I don't know, like stop you from growing up in certain aspects because yeah. you are part of this, <laughs> you know, you're part of this team. You can become a little bit institutionalised where, like, everything's kind of done for you, you know. Like, if, I don't know what it's like in swimming, but, you know, travelling as a team for rugby, you obviously turn up with your bags to the airport, but the manager's got your passports there, you know, they're sorting out your your um, boarding passes and then you just kind of follow the crowd. Like, mm. you just hit autopilot, put a pod- podcast on, you know, be reading a book, uh, nothing to worry about. Yeah. 
travel by yourself. You've got to do all that. You've got yes. to book the flights. You've got to sort out the itinerary, check yourself in. And I guess, yeah, it's the same. It's the same in life. Like we've all got to be taking that that responsibility and having, I don't know, having a real go and making the most of it. It's so funny that you say that because I remember um, being, I tell the story that at 27, you know, I was told what to pack, what to wear, when to arrive at the airport. Like (laughs) everything is done for you. Everything is organized. All plans are made and you just basically, yeah, get in line and get on the plane, get on the bus and you turn up Mm -hmm. to wherever. And the first time that I traveled by myself was the year after I had retired in um, 2014 and I just remember being terrified because I was, what, I was 29 at the time and just going, where am I going? Like I have to change <laughs> terminals. I'm not just following the rest of the players. The team manager's not there to tell me where to go. It's I have to make all of these decisions by myself. But it was so rewarding <laughs> to, yeah. to just do something that most people are like, yeah, that's cool. I travel by myself yeah. all the time. <laughs> Baby steps. Yes, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. Uh, how have you found um, not being in a team environment? Have you found that challenging? Yeah, there, there's certainly aspects that you miss, that kind of camaraderie. And I think there's something about, like, working really hard alongside other people. Um, I, you know, I don't know what it is, whether it's, like, I don't know, the endorphins that get released after exercise or what it is, but it's, like, there's something really special about it, working towards a goal and working really hard, pushing each other. I guess I've, I'm fortunate that I had quite a few good mates outside of rugby and a few guys that I was friends with who have retired before me here in Canberra and I've kind of been able to catch up with them, particularly last year where you know every rugby, every sports team was in a bubble where you couldn't even, you couldn't really catch up anyway. Mm. And... I'm also pretty introverted, so it's not uh, – I don't know. You can see the extroverts in, in, in team sports. Yeah. Just love it. Yeah. Like, they, yeah, they are in the elements and you can hear them when you're trying to go to sleep at 9.30, 10 p.m. You can hear them down the hall yelling and screaming and, you know, carrying on. But that was never my go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it maybe hasn't been that hard. But, yeah, there's certainly the, the physical – side of things that you do miss. So can you tell me a bit about the um, the cool down and the campaign mm-hmm. that you're running at the moment and part of? Um, yeah, just to let people know how they might be able to support what you're working towards. Sure. So we launched a campaign called The Cool Down and we've now got over 400 athletes from 30-plus sports who kind of signed on calling for bold climate action here in Australia. And, you know, the, the thinking behind it is is that as athletes, if you talk about anything outside of your sport, you're opening yourself up to criticism mm. and you get the usual people telling you to stay in your lane, stick to sport, mate, you know, shut mm. up. What would you know about that? But the reality is, is that, you know, athletes – from families we have families we're part of communities we really love this country and you know climate change is affecting australia and will out of all the developed countries will affect australia the most so we really need to be taking this seriously and given just how like politicized climate action has been in australia 
I think athletes can have a really important role in saying like this something we should be acting on like mm. it should be normal to be concerned about climate and wanting really strong action so yeah we've put we've put this together and we're encouraging athletes and you know anyone who plays sport or is a fan of sport to sign up because i think looking at climate change through the lens of sport is quite useful in australia it's kind of been framed as this you know either this thing that's out there in the future or this thing that's basically just you know droughts and fire and flood yeah and we don't talk about how it's going to affect every part of our lives and that includes the sports we love mm. and you know I, i've got so much out of playing rugby like it as a kid i learned so much and it was always my dream to play for the wallabies and to get to do that and experience everything i experienced you know i want future generations of australians boys and girls to be able to dream like that mm. um and have those opportunities so yeah i think as athletes if we can kind of put our name to this and and encourage discussion and maybe reach a different audience that isn't as tuned into these issues then I, th- i think it's a good thing we'll make sure that we put a link to the cool down in our in the show notes i'm also interested because you have always had this strong sense of advocacy and you're right like most athletes are basically told to focus on themselves only talk about themselves not even talk about competitors let alone have opinions about mm-hmm. potentially political or polarizing conversations but you've always had that sense to me like you and your partner your wife Emma um had a marriage ceremony but you didn't sign the papers until um gay marriage came into being included and um yeah. you know there was the vote on on that and i mean it's such a i mean i i could not imagine as an athlete doing something like that because to draw that attention to me um in a way that i couldn't control it's it's a really yeah. powerful thing to use your voice to talk about something that you believe in have you always felt that strongly considering you call yourself an introvert it's an interesting um <laughs> thing to to want to bring into your life yeah i think yeah you know, there were issues that i was concerned about or or interested in outside of rugby but it really took a while to get the confidence and i don't know muster up the courage to actually talk about them publicly I don't know and I, I I kind of felt like I was benefiting so much from society being paid to do what I was doing you know run around rugby field and try and steal the ball from the opposition. Yeah. Um I guess pretty funny if you think about it. But um, <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> I was paid well not paid but uh, I I you know wanted to swim up and down a pool so <laughs> Who's yeah. sillier? Who's yeah. to say? <laughs> um But I, I don't know I really you know you you know what it's like to be that kid that's idolizing your heroes and kind of really interested in what they're talking about or interested in and kind of felt like yeah I, I feel like I should be talking about these things because I think it's really important that kids are hearing them and mm. you're know, able to have a conversation and yeah kind of started off I guess just slowly getting involved in you know a ca- campaign here or there that I thought was important 
and yeah, seeing that you can actually have a voice and try and actually add to those conversations. Um, it, it, yeah, it wasn't always comfortable. But where honest. does that it, come um, from? Because a lot of people just won't, and I was certainly one of those mm. people who just, mm. you know, I might have an opinion, but I wouldn't have necessarily had the confidence or the courage to voice it in a public forum. Like where does does that come from, family or, or friends or just an internal passion? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think I – my family moved to Brisbane when I was 14. We moved from Zimbabwe. And um, Zimbabwe was kind of at the start of a really rough patch politically and economically. And, you know, we were incredibly fortunate to be able to get visas to Australia based on my parents' qualifications. And, I, you know, I think I arrived here with definitely sort of some guilt thinking about my classmates. Back in Zimbabwe, most of who, you know, didn't have that opportunity to start life again and, and have the opportunities that Australia, you know, gave to a lot of people. So I think wanting to give back and, and then, I don't know, I think reading was a big part of it. Like uh, in my late teens, like early 20s, like I was, I was pretty obsessed by like Gandhi and Martin Luther King and all this kind of social change, Muhammad Ali, the, you know, the stuff, the, the stuff that he did, um, John Carlos. Tommy Lee Smith, Peter Norman, all these kind of things. And I think just reading more about it, you realise just how important sport has been in challenging society to be more inclusive and to be, I don't know, bringing certain issues into a different, to a different audience mm. and maybe like normalising certain things. You know, and we see that in Australia a lot. You, you think of all the stuff that's, happened and is happening around racism in the AFL and you know wider spread through through sport mm. and it can be a really powerful thing to drive those conversations so I don't know I guess I was it was something I was interested in and yeah it got to the point where I decided like I want to be the best rugby player I can be but I also want to be contributing to these other these other things that I I feel like are way more important than rugby yeah it's interesting because it, it- I think particularly the way that you put it that sport can be a driver of conversation is a really interesting way of putting it because I think you've seen that as well this year, particularly around mental health and, you know, seeing Mm. Naomi Osaka withdraw from the tennis tournament and Simone Biles at the Olympics um, withdraw from some of her events due to you know, taking care of themselves and their mental health first, I think it allows people to have the opportunity to have these conversations and understand Mm -hmm. where people fit on that spectrum and, you know, their thoughts about it. And, again, normalising those conversations and being allowed or giving people permission to talk about something that they're passionate about. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that, you know, the the fact that they were such big stories points to – just how far we have to go when it comes to conversations around mental health. Such a good point. People people admitting that they, you know, they need help or they need some time off. So yeah, I think it does it does have a have a role to to play in that. Mm. I have two more questions, mm-hmm. two final questions. Um, what are you most proud of from your sporting career? Like, what is it that? What moment? What achievement? What thing from 
your rugby career are you most proud of? Because I, I, I find when I ask these questions to athletes, it's not necessarily – like sometimes it is the big achievement that people would imagine that it is, but sometimes it's these mm-hmm. little moments that resonate with us and stay with us forever. Um, I'll give you two two quick ones just because they're very different. Um, one that always stands out was uh, – it would have been 2010 – no, not even, no, not 2010, like 2008 or nine. And we, I was playing for the Western Force in Perth. We were playing in Pretoria in South Africa. And um, my grandfather in Zimbabwe was, since he was a, like a schoolboy, had supported the team that we were playing against and was just one of those insufferable fans, like just loved them. And um, he drove down to South Africa for the game and um, before the game, said to me, like, obviously I'm supporting the Western Force today. And um, we, no one gave us a chance. Like, we shouldn't have beaten them, but we did. We pulled off this amazing victory there. And uh, afterwards saw him, like, in tears with all of his old schoolmates. And just, I don't know, he was just so happy. Um, and, uh, yeah, being, being kind of the grandparent that I was, I was closest with, I don't know, it just meant, it just meant so much. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like the rugby, I, I think the thing I'm probably proudest of was my 2015 season. I, I missed the whole of 2013 and 2014 with knee injuries. And, you know, two years is a long time to be rehabbing. And you obviously come back with all the doubts of whether you can actually get back to where you were, yeah. um, whether your body will hold up, all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I think I probably had one of my best my best years of rugby um, I had. So probably that one. It's incredible. And finally, what what advice would you give to an athlete who is maybe thinking about retirement or is going through the first few weeks, months, eight years retired? I <laughs> what advice would you give to <laughs> athletes who um, are going through that experience? Oh. Cut yourself some slack. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Allow yourself just to just to be for a bit if you can, um, if you have that 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 luxury. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a tough one because I think you know so many of your even your relationships with people change in a way. Like even your relationship with with family. Like I know f- for me, most of the times I would see my say my parents or even my brothers i've got two younger brothers would often be around games or i was in brisbane for a training camp or something and so it was always you know on your schedule catching up not much time so i don't know there's a real period of kind of renegotiating those relationships and almost i've for one thing i've loved getting to know my brothers mm. um you know after growing up with them uh i left home when i was 17 and really have spend much time with them um and then lived with my youngest brother for last year in covid which was great uh so yeah it's a i don't know i don't have any any pearls of wisdom i'm still trying to figure it out and i think it's a real it's a real process uh to do that i I, i've just loved everything that you said there because it it is it's such a period of transition and people do need to take Mm -hmm. that time to 
renegotiate mm. their relationships with other people because that's so such a thing because, you know, they can't just talk to you about rugby anymore. They just can't talk to you about swimming because that's what you were working on and doing for yeah. the better part yeah. of your adult life. Uh-huh. But it's also renegotiating how you think about yourself and understanding who you are. I mean, you said it so perfectly mm-hmm. earlier, you know, you're not David the rugby player anymore. Like how do you define mm-hmm. yourself? How do you identify yourself? Um, yeah, it, it you do and you just need to be patient. Yeah. And I think like a useful thing that I I tried to kind of remind myself of or, or change my mindset around was – Rather than thinking oh, I'm retiring from rugby, I'd always think, okay, I'm transitioning to this next thing mm. and I'm going to figure that out. Um, yeah, because I think, I think you know, the way we, th- we, we think about things or frame things can actually make a big difference to the way that we live. David, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a Thanks, such a pleasure really talking to chatting. you. And, yeah, all the best for, for your conservation work. It's such such important work and yeah i hope it goes really well and you have my support i've signed up for the cool down and yeah any way that i can help just let me know thanks so much Libby. really enjoyed that thank you so much for listening to today's show with david pocock i don't know about you but i just loved listening to david speak about the transition into retirement it's so fascinating to me that someone who is just freshly retired and you know kind of not even 12 months into that experience can have such amazing perspective and can articulate things so well about how you're feeling about navigating um through those different stages redefining relationships yeah i i really resonated with a lot of that so Thank you so much for joining us this week. And if you wouldn't mind, I would really appreciate a a like, a share, a rate or a review. Yeah, that would be really great. Otherwise, I will chat to you next week. Bye.